Welcome to the Region Free Gamers Podcast, Episode 2. That's right, Axel. Today, we're talking about you. Hello there, folks, and welcome back for the first time to the Region Free Gamers podcast, the podcast that is fluent in gaming. My name is Ozzy, and I will be your host for today. And with me today are my distinguished co-hosts. So we have Arnie. Hey, guys. What's going on? And we also have Masa from Finland. Hello, it's me, Masa. And finally, we have Paul down in the frigid regions of Canada. Yeah, still frigid today. My name is Paul. I like video games. Well, we all like video games, and before we get underway, we really want to thank everyone that tuned into our first episode. If you gave us some feedback or spread the word about our podcast, trust us, it was very much appreciated. We were all feverishly waiting for anyone to listen to the podcast and to the episode and, and see what they thought. So it, it's just, if you have any comments and any feedback, it's always welcome. It's always very appreciated. We're still trying to figure this out, as you can probably tell. So anything you can tell us to get better. It's very, very welcome. And we're really excited for today's episode because now that we have truly got an introduction set of the way, which is always sort of a little bit awkward, we can really kick back and do a deep dive on what we love most, which is games, both old and new. And perhaps you were able to guess by the title of this episode, but today we're going way back to the golden days of the 1990s in a time when Milli Vanilli was a thing and Marky Mark was more known for his rapping than his acting. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> coin munching arcade machines were the loot boxes for the day. I mean, you know, they took a lot of coins. So we will be talking today about a topic that is near and dear to the hearts of almost every gamer. At least that's what my impression is. And that is the beat-em-up genre, or brawlers, if you happen to grow up in the Paul region. And we will be talking about the genre, what made it special, some of our favorite games in the genre, and whether there can ever be a true revival of such genre. We will also be talking about some of the games we are most looking forward to in this rising year of 2018. Um, if it's anything like 2017, God bless our wallets. Um, but before we get into all that, we want to jump into a little segment we like to start with, and that's discussing what games we have been playing lately. So as for me, I have been talking enough, and will therefore cede the way to my esteemed co-hosts. So without further ado, Masa, tell us, what have you been playing lately? Um, yeah, there's actually a few games, so ever since the last episode, like I finished Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and since then, um, there's a couple of games that I've been really into, um, there's a few games that I played, um, like Cinemora EX, it's a game that I recently got, um, haven't really played it that much yet, but it does seem like quite a, um, shoot em up hidden gem. On this, uh, it's out on both the PS4 and the Switch. But the games that I've really, really enjoyed lately, um, I actually finally finished my very first Uncharted game. And funnily enough, I started with the latest game, which is um, The Lost Legacy. Oh, and and, um, how do you like it? I had a blast. Um, okay, so it's definitely not like um, a 10 out of 10 kind of game, but I really enjoyed it. Did you find that it was... Um... Did you find that it was difficult or perhaps not optimal starting from the last chapter? Um, I wouldn't say so because the um, the Lost Legacy does not actually feature Nathan Drake. 
the main characters do appear in the previous games, and um, I have not played the fourth game. I have played Uncharted 3, haven't finished it yet, um, and I feel like, okay, so yeah, of course, this is like, The Lost Legacy was supposed to be just an add-on, or like a story DLC to Uncharted 4, um, so it's definitely not like a groundbreaking game. And of course, like this is coming from someone who didn't play Uncharted 4, but like compared to Uncharted 3, um, yeah, it's definitely a big improvement. And I actually enjoyed The Lost Legacy quite a bit more than what I've played like Uncharted 3. Um, of course, it's like very, very cinematic and that was to be expected. And yeah, I mean, the biggest difference I would say is the um, the shooting system has been improved at least a little bit um, since they added this like auto aiming. And I mean, I know that if you are a hardcore Uncharted player, you probably wouldn't use that. Uh, but at least for me, I did really like the how the shooting worked in Uncharted 3, and that's probably the reason why I haven't finished it yet. Um, mm. But yeah, it it feels a lot better in in um, in the Lost Legacy. It's it's a very self-contained game, and it it really serves as a bridge towards whatever it is that Naughty Dog and Sony are going to do with the Uncharted franchise. They're really trying to establish Chloe and Nadine as the future of the franchise because I, I'm not going to speak too much about Uncharted 4 because I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but it, it kind of is really a closing of the book on Nathan Drake. And I think it does it very well. And of course, I don't think Sony is going to let go of the Uncharted franchise. So this kind of really serves as a segue into the future of the franchise. So even if you haven't played any of the other ones, maybe you will miss a few of the callbacks to the original games, but it's you're not really going to feel like you're being left out in the cold because you really get to see a side that you haven't seen from these characters in the other games because they just did not have the starring time. It was pretty much Nathan Drake's show before. So I, I think it doesn't really hinder you if you start from the last game because it really just serves as a bridge towards the new breed of Uncharted. Yeah, and I would say, um, okay, so I actually bought the game on sale. I paid under um, 20 euros for it. And like, I think it launched at like 40 euros, at least in Europe. And that... It's not a very long game. Even I, who's often like really slow when it comes to finishing games, I beat like under eight hours. And um, I would say it was worth the price that I paid for it. Um, and it, like, honestly, like, it's so action packed that you kind of, like, you do, like, once you finish the game, you do feel like, yeah, I mean, I got my money's worth. It, I had a blast, it was fun. But yeah, definitely if I had paid 40 euros for it, then I would be a bit like, hmm, yeah, that was a bit bit short for a game that's um, in the mid-price range. Well, it, it kind of it also includes the whole multiplayer suit for uh, Uncharted 4. So if you're into that, that's also added value. It doesn't really have a lot of replay value. I mean, you could go back and play to get all the treasures and the like, but it's not a game that really has a lot of replay value. But what I liked about it was the idea that I, I played it over two days, and it was just a quick game to get out of the way, and it was a very compact, condensed experience. So I, I, I enjoyed it. I, maybe it's just that I played through Uncharted 4 not too long ago. It was last year. It, it just it felt like it hit a lot of the same beats as Uncharted 4, but if you haven't played Uncharted 4, then yeah, man, I mean, it's 
it's really good. It's 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 really excellent, and the graphics are just amazing. But I think above all, what makes Naughty Dog stand out is really the the motion capture and the performance capture. I mean, it, Claudia Black as Chloe is just amazing. She's she's really really great. Yeah, she is, and um. Like personally, I'm a huge Laura Bailey fanboy, but I gotta say that yeah, it was Claudia Black who really stole the show here. And yeah, when it comes to the graphics, um, okay, so I'm a Nintendo fanboy, as we established in the previous episode. So I'm not like <laughs> used to like super realistic and amazing graphics. But yeah, I would say um, when it comes to console games, that game, I mean, it is probably the best looking console game I've ever seen. It was. Yeah, like I like sometimes I would just have to like like I stopped and then I was like just checking out the environments and the characters. I was like I was like, whoa, this game really is something. Like, yeah, it's I can't wait to get a 4K TV because even on like normal HD TV, the game looked absolutely amazing. So Paul, uh, what have you been playing? Uh, uh, I've been man, you know, list is huge. Uh, I'll try to narrow it down a little bit though. I guess the I don't know if it's the most noteworthy, but I just did a post on it yesterday on Instagram is uh, Nex Machina, which I don't even know if that's how you really pronounce that. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of expecting one of our <laughs> one of our two listeners to uh, get back to me and let me know exactly how to pronounce this. But in any case, um, Nex Machina. That's how I would pronounce it, uh, at least. Smash TV kind of. Cl- that's pronounced. Yeah, it? that's how I would pronounce it. I mean, I think of Deus Ex Machina and that's, <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I would think of it, except I've never really known how to pronounce that either. So I'm just kind of going on what I think it is. So hopefully I'm right and I don't sound like an idiot. I think you are. Uh, um, what, an idiot? No, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that be beyond that. <laughs> uh, so in any case, Next Machina is basically a, a Smash TV clone on the PS4. And it really just kind of hits all the right notes. Uh, I played it with my buddy uh, about a week or two ago. And, uh, yeah, it was great. It was an hour and a half. We played it on the normal difficulty level, which provided 99 continues. At the beginning, we were like, 99 continues? Are you kidding me? And then we used 75 of them before actually finishing the <laughs> <Damn>. game. <laughs> so there was, was a lot of dying. Uh, but with that said, it was like, man, it was super fun. Like, games like, I, I think I might have mentioned this before, but as a general rule, I prefer my games to either be balls to the wall action or slow ass rpg and uh next machina was definitely just balls to the wall action it was so much fun by the way does and, the game uh, have online um multiplayer i'm gonna say probably i i, okay. I didn't check because we were obviously playing locally so there was no yeah. reason for me to check but i would i would presume so it's i don't know man my answer is i don't know i'm taking a long time to just say i don't know <laughs> and also before we um Move move on. Like I have to mention that yeah, this game is by Housemarque, which is like one of the the most famous like Finnish um, game studios, and they've been oh, in the represent. The, yeah, yeah, been in the business since the mid nineties. I, I always think of them as I always think of them as Danish for whatever reason. So thank you for correcting, Masa. <laughs> yeah, of course, because like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as the only thing here, and I mean, we don't really have like that many famous, you know, game studios. Um, like, I think usually like, when people think about like Finnish games, okay, so yeah, you might know that there's um, like Max Payne is a Finnish game. Yeah. And then you have, you know, on the mobile side of things, you have um, 
class of the clans and angry birds but a lot of people they don't know about like house monkey well I, i mean i think house monkey is really a a hardcore develop a hardcore gamers developer they they really have come out with a lot of great games i remember was it which one was the zombie one i think uh, it was zombie nation maybe uh, but they also last year they came out with matterfall and they came out with next machina but before that i mean their big game was super stardust if you recall which was a launch game for the ps3 and that game was kind of uh, an oasis in the barren sea that was the ps3 launch window and it was a twin stick shooter uh similar i guess to next machina i think they really have taken to that form of playing and uh it 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 really was it was kind of a a follow up to geometry wars in some way it felt very much like in the vein of geometry wars which was the big twin stick shooter at the time um but then in the ps4 launch they came out with racogun which was basically a, a clone of defender I mean and I'm not you know I'm not a big uh historian of the of the arcade days of the early 1980s but it was very much uh very faithful to what made Defender such a great game so they've always taken to the kind of arcade uh, genre of 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 games and it's it's unfortunate because as I was speaking with Paul yesterday um they've just declared that they're really going to pull out of the arcade business basically of the arcade genre because it's just not selling well it's just not doing as well as they hope for so after many decades they've just kind of calling it quits on that so i don't know exactly where they're going to go after this i don't know what type of genre they're going to delve into i i have very high hopes for them because they're extremely talented but it's 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 really a loss because these are the types of games that are just not made anymore so do you buy the limited run edition or the physical edition yeah i bought the i bought the limited run uh, edition of it just because You know, we like our physical media, right? Mhm. True that. So Arnie, what what have you been playing? Well, first of all, Paul, I think that it's pronounced Ness Machina. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. The correct terminology for that. Um but unlike unlike Masa, who I believe has been trying to complete a larger amount of games this year, I've been sort of spiritually hanging myself by continuing to play 100 plus hour RPGs. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that was like one of my new years um new years gaming resolutions that this year I would like play more like shorter games and I mean of course I started with um Uncharted and then I after that I move on to East Origin and uh yeah. must beat them both. So I'm off exactly. to a great start. So I feel like the less time I have the the longer games I want to play, I I think there's just something You know, I just like to hurt myself like that. Um so I recently This doesn't sound sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I recently yeah, what kind of logic is that anyways? <laughs> <laughs> so I recently beat uh Final Fantasy 15 finally, which I really really enjoyed. Thank you Paul yeah, for for that for for pushing me on that one. Stand by me is now top 5 favorite songs of all time. <laughs> uh, But it was it was a it was a really really um interesting journey. I I when I started playing it and even when I saw other people posting about it, I really didn't I didn't get the sort of the appeal. Like it wasn't really grabbing me as much, but honestly from like the first maybe one or two hours, I was completely hooked. I was so into the story, the characters, even the the especially the battle mechanics, which I know Paul had been raving about to me beforehand, are just so 
I don't I don't want to say unique, but they're 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 fresh. Yeah, exactly. They're just such a new take on something that we've seen before yeah. um, that it makes the game so enjoyable. So as as someone as someone that hasn't played it yet, I think I'm the only one out of you, out of all of us that hasn't played it. One of the one of the things that I hear mixed reception about is the story because some people think that the story is very engaging and they really took to it while others tell me that they really didn't get the whole deal out of it. They, it was just kind of uh, a run-of-the-mill. So I, I wonder if the truth is somewhere in the middle. So, you know, I can throw that to all you guys that have played it. What What is it that you think that made the story stand out for you or alternatively that it did not stand out for you? Um, so at least for me, um, it was the story was completely held up by the characters. So the characters are really the part that I was most interested in. I think the part that people have issue with, and I could agree with this for sure, is that I think the story doesn't take its time, doesn't really develop in, in the beginning of the game. I think it sort of starts somewhere in the middle and just expects you to sort of pick it up as you go along. Or I think they've also, uh, I think Square Enix has also done like an anime and a, or a movie trying to explain sort of the beginning lore of the of the story to give you a little bit more context for it. But I think that's the main issue, um, is that the story, you know, sort of expects you to go out of your way to learn more about it. Um, it's not starting you off right at the beginning and sort of explaining events as they unfold to get to the point where the game starts. So did you watch Kingsclave, which was the movie that came out before the game released? Um, I haven't watched it yet, but I do want to watch it now that I've played through the game. Yeah, uh, for me, like, I started playing the game. Um, yeah, that, that's actually, like, also one of the games that I've played recently. I have made it to Chapter 3, but the reason why um, I stopped playing is that I actually do own Kingsclave, but I haven't watched it yet, and I don't know, I just haven't gotten into the mood to watch it. So that's why I haven't continued the game yet. Um, I... Like, I, I gotta admit that, yeah, like, what I've played, I have enjoyed. And it's better than I expected. And especially, like, the battle system, because based on the demo that I played, uh, that was not a very good represent, representation of the battle system. Because, yeah, because at first I was a bit like, well, you just hold hold the attack button, and then it automatically attacks all the enemies, and that's it. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more to it. And I gotta say, the warp attack... That that is some like next level shit. That that's so amazing. <laughs> but before I continue playing the game, I'm definitely gonna watch King's Clave and also the anime, because I think that's kind of like required to get the most out of out of the story. Did you watch it, Paul? No, I didn't. I uh, my I don't know. Maybe I'm old fashioned, but I kind of figured that if you're releasing a movie and a game at the same time, and in order to enjoy the game, you're required to watch the movie then your game is a narrative failure. I, I, if you're going to... No, but it's for real, though, right? Like, I don't want to have to watch a movie to enjoy a game. That kind of mm. sounds old manny, but that's kind of how I felt about it. And frankly, having not seen the movie, so my opinion here is uninformed, I don't know, man, even if I had seen the movie, my only problem with Final Fantasy XV was that it just kind of felt like things were happening. And I was like, okay, I guess this now and i didn't really know why mm -hmm. so it, it and like the the narrative just kind of really jumped kind of from one point to another 
And again, I just didn't really get what was going on. Like Arnie was saying, the characters were mostly well fleshed out. I liked all of them. I didn't like Ignis, I should say, but uh, the uh, the other three, I I was like, yeah, I can I can get behind these guys. Kind of carried it between the characters and the combat. That's kind of what carried it for me. Well, I I, I there was this big push at least in the mid two thousands, and then it's kind of continued to varying degrees of this multimedia push that the game has to have an anime and it has to have this other mobile game and Square Enix really went in all that on, on that and I'm just not a big fan of it as as just the same case with you Paul and I, I also I call it kind of the bungee uh, style of st- storytelling where if you really want to figure out what the hell's going on in the story you have to go into all these other materials and kind of really spend a lot of time researching it and I'm just not a big yeah, fan. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, I'm just not a big fan of that. I, I, I think really you should have exposition and you really if you're not able to meld the 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 story beats that you want to give to your viewer or reader or player into the experience itself then that just means that you just failed at telling the story. So at least that's to me. I, I think that if you have to go out of your way, same with you. I'm, maybe I'm getting repetitive, but if you have to go out of your way, then you just haven't fulfilled your uh, your job as a storyteller. Yeah. Well, I think I think at some point, you know, these sort of multimedia, like these movies, these animes, they can be a nice complement to a game. But I think the way that yes. Square Enix did it in this sort of instance, it just becomes kind of paid DLC. Like if you really want to understand this story, like here's you know, this movie, this anime that you have to watch so you can go into the game sort of at the point where the characters are. I think that game, maybe companies like, for example, like Atlas, I know they do a lot of animes based on Shin Megami Tensei properties, but it's sort of a retelling of the events of the story. So it's not required viewing or required reading to sort of understand the self-contained story of every game. I guess it's down to me then and, and what I have been playing. And in between bouts of the never-ending Breath of the Wild, which, you know, I mean, I restarted that game again, so I basically started from scratch, and that game is just endless. And I love it. I'm I'm enjoying every single minute of it. I, I, I am not complaining at all whatsoever about Breath of the Wild being 160 hours long, or 200 if you're Masa. Um, but, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but in between that, I, I also was able to finish some of my backlog from last year and the games that I wasn't able to finish last year. And I know that we talked in our last episode about our games for the year, and there was some regret on my part that there were some games that I just hadn't gotten around to playing. And uh, I recently finished one that I, I it took me a while to play it and and really get into it, but. I, I do get where people are coming from with respect to having it be their game of the year, and that's Nier Automata. And the Nier franchise, it's kind of incredible that it's just burst into the scene and just gained this massive upsurge of popularity because it's it's very much a niche genre. It's, it's very much a niche franchise. It, it doesn't, it, you know, Nier, the original one, was very much uh, a word-of-mouth game. It's not a game that received very high reviews. It's not a game that was known to a lot of people, but it just kind of gradually just built a lot of steam and it just kind of segued into this new game, which was developed by Platinum Games. And 
the mix of Yoko Taro, which is the designer and director of the game and Platinum Games, I think it's it's very good because Platinum has the shops to make a very tight, well-playing game, and Yoko Taro can basically go wild with his stories. But as as I discussed with you guys uh, outside of the podcast, I, I really had a hard time getting into Nier Automata within the first few six hours i would say um and i i really thought i was going to just drop it i i I was just thinking i'm just really not being hooked by this and even right now i'm kind of going back and forth on whether near automata is actually a good game or not and i know that might sound weird but even if i can't really have an answer to that I don't think it really matters. I don't really care because eventually when the game really started hitting on all cylinders, it it really made it into such a standout experience. And I think I mentioned in Instagram that it just kind of started going up in ranking and, and, and score as I played more through it. And I initially I was very hesitant to go through the whole idea of playing the game various times in order to get the full picture. But I, I really don't think that does it justice as to what the game is trying to do. It's really, you play the first scenario, let's say, and that one's maybe 16 hours long. And then the second scenario is just basically the same thing, but from a different perspective. And it really has a lot of different play styles. It, it just plays completely different. And it also plays a whole lot faster. So you go through the whole story in a much quicker manner but from a different perspective and then from that point forward it just kind of goes batshit crazy it really just it it really advances the story it's just what i try to explain to people is that the story doesn't end with the first playthrough it really there is a story that continues and and i just find it very daring that a developer would be willing to just hide the you know probably three quarters of the game uh from the player and even Square Enix, once you beat the first scenario, the the PR team from Square Enix actually sends you this message saying, if you want to get the full experience from Neon Automata, you should play through the game again. So it's kind of a nudge, but you can clearly see that Yoko Taro, this didn't come from him. He He doesn't want you to be pushed into replaying the game again. And what's strange is that if you play the game... The, with the, just the first scenario, it's going to be a kind of hopeful ending. But then if you continue playing the game, then everything just goes to shit. And what you thought was the ending of the game, and you're kind of like feeling a little bit, you know, heartwarmed, and you feel like, oh man, there might be a future after all. <laughs> you know, everything just comes crumbling <laughs> back down, and just the rug gets just swept underneath your feet. And a lot of the things that you notice in the first scenario that you couldn't really explain, but you just kind of pushed it to the side, they really do start making sense in the in the playthroughs that come after. So I'm just going to leave it at that and just throw it to you guys. Were you guys, I know, Masa, you were able to play through the first scenario, but did any of you other guys, were, were you able to play this game or, or not? I started playing it last week, and I'm about three hours in, and... Unlike you, it it's hooked me, man. Like, like I said, it's I like my I like my action games with a lot of action, and when it gets to those parts where you're fighting a lot of enemies and so on, you've got multiple options for attacks between long range and short range. I, I'm hooked. I, like it grabbed me right away. Well, I, I also, Paul, I imagine that with you, the mix of action game and bullet hell shooter 
it's mu- it must be like a match made in heaven because you like your shooters. Oh yeah, hundred percent, man. That game, that game. I'm three hours in, and I know I'm gonna finish it. It's just, it's a lot of fun. The atmosphere is great. Even, even simple, like it's got all the little things too. Like when, um, like when two B starts running really fast, like it just looks really cool. Hey, she's this android and she's running super fast. I like looking at that. Even when you have her walking at normal speed, she has this walk. Like, I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about here? She's got this walk like she fucking owns the place. It makes me... It's a strut, basically. Which is... <laughs> yeah, that's... Thank you. Thank you. That's the word. She doesn't walk, dude. She fucking struts. She's there for business. You know, like I said, little little things. It's, it's funny because uh, I was playing it and my girlfriend was right next to me and she just goes... Man, she's really stylish. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, if you if you're checking out the cosplay community, like two uh, B is like all the rage. Like she has been like, I mean, I think she was probably like the most cosplayed character of 2017, and one of the That's biggest surprising. reasons why the game ended up becoming so huge. Yeah, I really think it was. I'm I'm trying to figure out why the game blew up as much as it did, and. And we we gotta admit that you know the design of 2B was probably a big part of it. I I I kind of think back to when Hideo Kojima said in Metal Gear Solid 5 that he was designing his character be, characters to be cosplayable, and uh, you know everyone kind of laughed at that. But here is Yoko Taro who kind of just in a very subtle way just put it out there, and it actually worked. You know people actually took to it. So I, 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 I very much, you know, if that's what gets you to make games as amazing and as inventive as Nier Automata, I'm all in. Just, you know, make it as cosplayable as possible. I don't care. Um, so did you go back to it, Masa? Um, not yet, but I'm, I'm definitely planning to do it. Um, especially like after you um, have been <laughs> like hyping it up. Um, because, yeah, I felt satisfied after my first playthrough. But, I, I mean, of course, I was very aware of the fact that, yeah, you have to play through multiple times. What happened with, with me and, and the game was that it came out at the worst possible time. Because, yeah, it came out around the time when I was, you know, busy playing Breath of the Wild. And then after that, um, Persona 5 came out. So I was like, well, uh, Near Near was actually one of my most anticipated games of 2017, and I loved it. But I just didn't have like, I don't know. I guess I just didn't have like the proper time to put into it, like when I oh, when dude. it was like completely fresh. But yeah, you I'm don't, definitely. You don't have to explain. Yeah. Breath of the Wild came out. That's it. That's all you need yeah, to say. Yeah, exactly. Breath I mean, it was out. game over for other games. <laughs> well, those those are two pretty big bookends. I mean, when you're between Breath of the Wild, which is 200 hours, and Persona 5, which is 120. I mean, and those were some of the best games. I mean, Breath of the Wild, we <laughs> most of us agreed that it was the game of the year last year. Yeah, that's that's a rough pairing to have to go up against. But it's I, I do hope that you go back to it because it really it really makes it all the much better. And and before I close on the segment, I, I just wanna mention that perhaps what makes this game the most for me is just the music. I I, I don't know, you know, how they did it, but it's such an alien just beautiful melodic music and it actually uh emmy evans who was one of the vocalists for the game uh for the soundtrack she actually built up 
a fake language and most of the music in the game is actually sung in this fake language and as I was playing through it I was just thinking what what, what type of language is this is, is this Finnish um, but, <laughs> but it, 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 uh, it, it really makes it stand out if if I could make a callback it, it sounds a lot like Sigur Ross. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that band. It's it's an Icelandic yeah, yeah. post rock band, and the sound just kind of very much sounds like Sigur Ross, and it, it's just very very awesome. And I've just been putting it on repeat over and over and over again. So um, we're probably gonna have a, a little bit of a snippet in one of our breaks, but um, yeah, I think it's just amazing, and I'm looking forward to the vinyl um, release, which was apparently sold out as soon as it was up on the Square Enix store. So you know, hopefully at some point I'm gonna be able to get it. But uh, yeah, so that's that's what I've been playing. So we're back from our break and we're ready to get to the main event and uh, we're going to be brawling guys. We're going to be punching our way through the streets. Uh, I'm in New York City so I'm very much in the mood um, because it seems like all all, all these games were a variation of New York City. Uh, So I'm very much in it man. I mean I'm going to go out after this and just punch some bad guys in the subway or you know, I, I don't know. I'm probably going to end up punching. <laughs> Just don't get yourself a oh, speed or anything. I'm probably going to end up punching some juppies, you know, some, you know, <laughs> because that's all New York has nowadays. I mean, if if Streets of Rage saw New York, you know, nowadays, they would be very disappointed. Uh, yeah, I mean, the beat em up genre, I, I, you know, I, I think this is one of the genres that is very much beloved by the gamer community. I, I think it's 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 one of those genres that is extremely simple and when you really think about it you ask, you know, what do you do? You just punch bad guys, um and you just progress to levels just punching your way through things. But for some reason it's just kind of stuck with uh gamers and it's just kind of really even though it's kind of faded, it, it really has become uh, a nostalgia pipeline for a lot of gamers. So before we jump into that, I, I want to ask you guys, how would you define the beat-em-up? Because it was kind of one of the issues that we kind of encountered when we set about talking about this, which was, what are the boundaries of the beat-em-up? What, what makes a beat-em-up a beat-em-up? So I want to ask you guys, what, what do you think makes a beat-em-up a beat-em-up? I think the ability, I think punching, kicking, limited amount of weapons, and that's kind of where it begins. Once you once you start equipping swords and becoming uh, bayonetta and so on and so forth, then it kind of becomes its own subgenre. Even though the gameplay is similar, I don't care. That's still a subgenre, and uh, that's kind of where the beat em up starts for me: punching, kicking, and and there you go. Yeah, I, I'd say the um, the multiplayer aspect to it. I know there are single player beat em ups, but when I think of a beat em up, it's definitely something. You know, you go to the arcade and it's the biggest cabinet there with like two, you know, two to four control sticks for all, all your friends to stand around and just drop quarters into. Um, so it's more of a, a I don't want to say familial experience, but definitely more of a social experience. The beat em up more so than any other game. Good point. Well, yeah, I, I think uh, I would I try to come up with a definition and, and personally, 
I would define it as a genre that can be played by one to four players. And this could be on a side-scrolling or 3D plane, even though side-scrolling is really where it's most famous for. Um, and it is linear in nature. There shouldn't be a lot of non-linearity in the game. And with a primary emphasis on using your fists or martial arts, as Paul has just mentioned, as you battle waves of opponents, really that emphasis should not be on the weapons, as Paul said. Um, there are some exceptions, like maybe Golden Axe or Guardian Heroes, but even those kind of feel still a little bit of uh, an offshoot or a spin-off of the beat-em-up game. And uh, it, it, we really want to differentiate it from the hack-and-slash type of games, which uh, could be Bayonetta or Devil May Cry or even the Dynasty Warrior games, which you know you take on wave after wave of enemies, but it's usually weapons-based. So I think it, it really has to be more of an emphasis on punches. And that makes sense, you know, considering it's called a beat-em-up or a brawler. Masa, do you have any definition that you think, you know, uh, makes a beat-em-up uh, stand out? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just all about, like, punching motherfuckers in the face. <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple. Yeah, and I think it may be <laughs> that simple. It may be the fact that, you know, and maybe that's why it's so popular. It's just you punch motherfuckers in the face. And, and it just it's cathartic in a way that you can just go after school. At least I'm speaking about it from the perspective of, late 80s, early 90s, which was really the, the peak or the apex of the beat-em-up genre. And you would go after school maybe with a couple of buddies and just pump quarters and just beat up dudes, man. I mean, that was really... It doesn't get any more simple and elemental than that, you know? And, and I think it, it must have been one of the reasons why it was so popular. Um, so let, let me ask you guys, what is the first beat-em-up that you remember playing? Uh, we have talked about beat-em-ups in the arcade but there, there are also beat-em-ups that are, were more popular in the console uh, sphere. So what, what is the first beat-em-up that you remember playing, and, and what do you think of it at the time? Well, for me, it was Double Dragon in the arcade. Um, at the time, I wasn't even really playing that many arcade games. There were, there were arcade machines at some of the corner stores near my house. Um, so I was playing stuff like 1943, uh, Ikari Warriors... And then Double Dragon came out, and Double Dragon just absolutely took over my life. It was it was absolutely bonkers. I remember playing it for weeks, uh, months. I don't even really remember, but it was it was a long time that I played that game quite a bit. And uh, that was even before reaching the final boss. By the way, we called that final boss Machine Gun Larry. And I have no idea why Larry was the scariest name we could come up with. I guess like we were we were ten years old, but he had a machine gun, therefore he was machine gun Larry. And uh, yeah, man, I have so many fond memories of that game. Like it's just it was it was perfect at the time. I I never got tired of it. I even remember like we had a video store, you know, close to my parents' house, like a block away. And I remember the first time we reached Machine Gun Larry. It was like this big deal, like, oh, my God, this guy has a gun. It was it was insane. <laughs> That's not and, uh It's not. Dude, he would kill you with one bullet. Right. As <laughs> as he should. And and, uh, and I remember running out of quarters while we were at Larry and I had like a dollar bill. And uh, I remember I swear to God, I remember going to the lady working at the counter at the video store and I was like frantic. Like it, mu it must have looked like I had to pee really badly. I was like, I need, you know, I need change. I need change. And I, like, my little, little buddy was on the machine, and he was trying to survive and not doing too well. 
And she was on the phone with someone and she just could not be less interested in what I had to <laughs> offer her. And, and so she eventually does give me the quarters and it was too late. We died. We couldn't continue. But, you know, we eventually did beat Machine Gun Larry. Well, and that's one of the part about beat-em-ups that if you played it in the arcade, you know you have that experience where you die and everyone is scrambling. Give me a quarter. Give me a quarter. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, oh, I'm getting oh, yeah. killed. Come on, man. It's, it's really, really hard. Yeah. You know, and I... Sorry. Sorry yeah. I didn't interrupt you, Arnie. If you don't oh. mind, I just want another 30 seconds here. I have one yeah. problem with Double Dragon. And it's bothered me for almost 30 years. So I don't know if you guys remember the original arcade marquee at the top of the cabinet. The mm. two protagonists, you know, the guy wearing the blue and the guy wearing the red, they each had a tattoo on their shoulders. Mm. One guy was Spike and the other guy was Hammer. So, of course, we called them Spike and Hammer, right? Yeah. So player one is Spike, two is Hammer, everybody's happy. And then the home versions were released and the characters were named Billy and Jimmy Lee. And I mean, that's, I'm sorry, that's a colossal mistake. You mean, mistake you mean, oh, you mean say, Amy and Jimmy. Sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and like, look, if I'm, if I'm Machine Gun Larry, and I hear that two guys wearing matching vests and pants named Billy and Jimmy are coming after me, I'm not worried. I'm just going to continue eating my bonbons and watching Young and the Restless, and that, that's fine. But if I know a spike and hammer are coming after me, you better fucking believe I'm taking that shit seriously. So, you know what? Technos, Taito, whoever, shame on you. I think it was actually Technos America that renamed it, and that was actually on the NES. Um, it just came out on the NES, oh. and they just changed it. And it was like, you know what, guys? You know, the United States, they're just not going to get Spike and Hammer. We just got to call them good old-fashioned, oh. good old American boys, Billy and Jimmy. And, uh, you know, that's how I know them. But but, <laughs> but for you, Paul, I must imagine that was really, really disappointing. It'll, it'll bother me until I die. So, Arnie, you were you were saying... Oh no! I was just gonna gonna say that Paul just gave me major like war flashbacks because there <laughs> I feel like there are few times in my life that I've been more terrified yet enraged than when I die on a beat 'em up and I have to run all the way to the coin making machine that I put my dollar bill into and then it spits it back out and then I have to sort of flatten it and then put it back in and the slow <laughs> sort of gears grinding to give me my four quarters back before I run back to the machine. All the while the countdown is going down to the game over. Like it's probably happened maybe a total of three times in my life, but they they were so like impactful to my development as a child. Oh man, it's just, it's just a, a tour de force of poor planning because a smarter person would just arrange his change beforehand. But no, when you're a kid, like, you know, you put in the dollar, you get your quarters back or you give the dollar to whoever's working behind the counter. You get your quarters and you run over to the machine. You don't even think about what's going to happen later. And then, bam. Well, that's funny because I actually the, – the most recent beat-em-up I beat in the arcades was Alien vs. Predator. And I, I actually had learned my lesson. I had the quarters just stacked out there. It was just a full stack of quarters. And, <laughs> and man, we were pumping those quarters. It was a lot of quarters, but I was ready. I was not going to let myself, you know, be 
you know, defeated by the countdown. Um, but as a kid, you just had them in your pocket, and it was like, you know, maybe you, your friend was not as good, so you were just giving him quarters, and it was just like you ran out. It was like, come on, man, come on, get, get some quarters, <laughs> you know. So it's just one of those indelible memories of being a kid and growing up in the arcade. That I I think it's just it's a delight to remember, but at the time it was just so stressful. So Arnie, what is your first memory of of a beat 'em up? I know you're the youngest one of us, so I'm just wondering if you also had an experience um, at the arcade and the like. Yeah, so I have I have two distinct memories, and I can't remember which one is first, but I do remember young Arnaldo being in a bowling league, and this is important to the story because we played. <laughs> like, it's very important. We played at this like sort of rundown mall where essentially it was a mall, but it only had two things open. And it was a grocery store on the first level and then a bowling alley that was the entire, almost the entirety of the third level. And that bowling alley had one of the worst arcade setups probably that I've ever seen. Every machine was broken or dirty or just not fun. But amongst all that, they did have the Simpsons arcade uh, beat them oh, up. Game, oh my God! Yes, which was the crown jewel of the entire thing. Um, so I do remember every Saturday when I would go there after doing like two hours of bowling, I would just go and just pump quarters mindlessly into this machine. I don't think I ever made it very far, but it's definitely like the first arcade beat 'em up that I remember playing consistently. So did you pick Marsh? Did you pick Marsh because you know you you gotta have the vacuum cleaner? No, it was always it was always Homer or Bart for me. <laughs> always Homer or Bart. It's funny because the Simpsons arcade is kind of one of those arcade cabinets that I, I would probably say it's the most popular beat 'em up with the public at large. Because yeah. for for a lot of us, maybe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is probably the most popular one. But for the public at large, I mean, everyone knows the Simpsons. I mean, it's still going, and it's 2018, um, and it, it came out really early. I think it came out just after its first season or, or while the first season was going on. Um, and it, it just it just became a staple of arcades. And if you actually go to our, an arcade nowadays and you see the Simpsons arcade cabinet, most of the time at least one of the controllers is not going to be working. So the buttons are just like all destroyed because, because people have just been banging on these buttons for 20 years. Actually, no probably like 28 years. I mean, it came out in 1991. So 27 years, this has been in, in a staple of arcade machines. So what's the second memory? Um, the second one is I was at a summer camp and I must have been 10 or 11, maybe a little younger than that. But it was the summer camp that was held at this military academy for the summer. So it, during the summers, they would empty it out, and then they just use the facilities as a summer camp. And I remember they set up a room, one of the classrooms, and they just filled it with Super Nintendos and Sega Genesis 
there was maybe like six of them like lined up and sort of that was like the free period area you could go in there and play and one of the games they had on there was uh teenage mutant ninja turtles turtles in time and i remember you know just spending so much every chance i got i'd go and sneak in that room and just play some teenage mutant ninja turtles again i don't think i ever beat that game but i just remember playing it for hours and not you know never getting tired of it just over and over and over and over again and i don't think you can understate the importance of having the teenage mutant ninja turtles license on the popularity of the beat-em-up most of us grew up on the ninja turtles or you know the the hero turtles if you're in europe um, but it really was the perfect time because we were all in love with it. And here comes this game where you can play with your buddies and you can play as Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello, and Leonardo. Oh, God, I almost forgot the last one. But I, I, I really think that the Ninja Turtles were a big reason why the beat em up genre was so popular. It's just, it was the ideal time. So... The, ar- the arcade game was basically perfect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's just... I mean, they weren't very well-balanced games. I don't think any of them were. I mean, they were cheap by their very nature. But you just didn't even care, man. I mean, it was just... You were just having fun beating up dudes and the Foot Clan. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, Turtles in Time, I don't have it because it's really gone up in price recently um, in the collector market. It's I think right now it's about, I would say, 60 to 70 bucks. It's even worse in Europe. It's like, um, I think... It's it's definitely over a hundred um, euros here, oh. and and that's a loose card. It's a boxed one. It's like two hundred. Yeah, is it is the label different? Like, is it Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles Turtles in Time? That actually, I'm not sure about that. But yeah, it must be Hero. Um, because yeah, I mean, I remember. I mean, I was a huge Turtles fan as a kid, and yeah, I was indeed like Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Although I personally, I have always called it Ninja Turtles. Got mm-hmm. it sounds cooler. Yeah, me too. I mean, I didn't know about Teenage Mutant until I got to this country because in Cuba we would call them the Ninja Turtles. In Spanish, of course, which was like Las Tortugas Nijas. Um, <laughs> so that's why we all knew it. And, and, and let me tell you, I mean, that's probably not to get into a digression here, but that probably goes to show how great the Ninja Turtles were because you could be in any given country and if you were a kid man, you love those Ninja Turtles, you know, because even in Cuba where we got nothing, you know, the Ninja Turtles were just our jam, man. And I, I must imagine in Finland, Masa, that was also the same. Yeah, it was the same. Yeah, I mean, the toy, like the toy line was huge. Uh, we got the comics. Um, the movies were big. And I mean, of course, we got the cartoon as well and the games. Um, because a lot of games never actually made it to made it to Finland. Um, and, uh, the Turtles games on the NES, like, all, like, those already, like, the first Turtles game, it was, like, one of the biggest NES releases, even here. So, and that's why the game is worth basically nothing, because every, like, everybody owned that game back in the day. But, yeah, it was definitely, like, um, I think the Turtles might have even been, like, the biggest of the, like, the 80s, early 90s, um, like, these kids franchises in Finland, even bigger than the Transformers or Masters of the Universe, G.I. Joe, all these others. Oh man, I thought Street Sharks was your jam. I mean, that that was my, <laughs> that was my jam. Um, this is probably too old for Paul. I'm sorry, oh Paul. <laughs> we, we, we used to get this in the summer in Cuba because we had, you know, our cartoons typically were from 6 to 8 p.m. That's the only 
time block that we would get cartoons. But in the summer, you would get cartoons every morning. And it was all those cartoons from the 80s. It was Transformers. It was the Turtles. It was G.I. Joe, Thundercats. Um, my personal favorite, Silverhawks. I don't know if you guys remember that. I really no, I've never heard. Oh, I love the Silverhawks, man. I mean, they were just so cool. Um, so that was my jam. But anyways, we're, we're really digressing here. Maybe we'll make an episode about 80s cartoons. Um, but but Masa, I'm really curious about what the beat-em-up genre was like in Finland. Um, so what, what were your experience and what were your memories of it? Well, first of all, it was a bit different for me because, like, you guys were talking about all these, like, arcade experiences. Um, we did, we have always had arcades. Um, I mean, of course, they mainly, I mean, they disappeared in the early 2000s. Um, but, for example, I'm lucky enough to live in Helsinki where we actually have an arcade nowadays. But back in the old days, um, I, I, I actually don't even remember if I have ever really played any beat em up, like actual beat em ups, like for example Ninja Turtles or Turtles in Time, I mean, I have never played the arcade version of that game. A lot of these other like famous beat em ups, I have only played like the home console ports of those. So it's very different, uh, and even when we had arcades, um, I feel like our games, I mean, we did have beat em ups, but all these arcades were mainly based on like these bigger cities, and I used to live in a very small city back in the day, so we didn't even have an arcade. So I actually missed out on many of these like classic arcade games. And when I was thinking about the whole thing, like you asked us like what was the first arcade? Oh, well, not not the arcade game, but the first beat 'em up you ever played. And I was actually like thinking about it. I was like, well, I mean, I had Battle Toads, I had Double Dragon, um. I had Turtles 2 on the NES, but then I, I remembered that there was something even before that, um, and it's a game that I never really even thought about, or like I didn't really consider it like being a beat-em-up because it was still like, um, it was more like that old, like early 80s arcade style, and that's actually like my first arcade game was Kung Fu. And that's, I mean, a lot of people don't, re like, when we talk about all these, like, legendary and classic um, beat-em-ups, like, that game never really comes up, even if it's, like, one of the, I would say even, like, one of the most famous NES games. But it's still, like, so different compared to these a bit more advanced um, beat-em-ups that I think a lot of people just kind of, like, forget that it exists, especially, like, when we talk about, like, beat-em-ups. It's, it's more like, well, I mean, Kung Fu was a fun arcade game, but it's like it's not talked in the same way as like you talk about Double Dragon. I almost feel like it's a I almost feel like it's a side scrolling action game. Well it's it's generally seen as the first beat 'em up. Um but I, I just think that it's kind of a necessary evolutionary step towards the the beat 'em up. And I think if you really go back to it, just going back on the history, it, it, Renegade, I don't know if you guys ever played that, which was yeah. I think the first Kunio Kun game. And I think that that came out in 1986, and I think it really was the first beat 'em up that played with the 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 four to eight direction um, movement, where you could just move up, down, left, right, um, and punch your way through it. But Kung Fu really didn't have that. It was just kind of side scrolling, and you beat bad guys, you know, as they came. Um, but it, it definitely was, I think, a necessary step. And Kung Fu, I think, came out in 1984, so that was that was way back. Yeah, that's, um, but yeah, like after Kung Fu, like I mentioned the games like Battle Dodes, 
And when you talk about battletoads, of course, you gotta mention the infamous Turbo Tunnel. It's still to this day I have not beaten. So yeah. Well, I, I'm 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 always amazed that there are some some folks out there that can actually beat it blindfolded. And I just think that's I mean it's showing off clearly, but yeah, no, I don't I, I don't care for these people. I actually I had a friend who um who was able to beat the Turbo Tunnel. But I was always like, yeah, it's, it's my controller. I just can't do it because of the controller. And I mean, I did have a jacked like D-pad. So I mean, it wasn't just an excuse. Uh, but like, I never actually like realized that it was like such a famous or like famously difficult level. And then like, I mean, just a few years ago, like when I started watching like all these like retro game YouTube videos, and then I was like, wait, you have all these like people like the AVGN and all these other like famous YouTubers like. Like there was this like turbo tunnel challenge and it was like, yeah, people trying to beat it. I was like, wait, so it was legit difficult. So it wasn't just me and my, my ADS controller that sucked, but yeah, it was like legit difficult. Well, the, the tunnel contributed to massive self-esteem in the nineties. So I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, you should probably ask for an apology <laughs> from Rare. Just to go on to uh, my game, the, the, my first memory, I, I think my first memory of a beat-em-up, and I distinctly recall it, it's one of the memories that just kind of stays in your head, and you can still picture it. Uh, I, I think there, there are a few memories like that when you're a kid, but some of them just stay in there, and it was actually Streets of Rage 1 on, on the Genesis. I remember before that I had only seen the Super Nintendo, and then I, I go to this friend's house, and there's a Sega Genesis there. And mind you, this was in Cuba, so these systems were not very common. And I see a game being played there, and it's colorful, and you're punching through things. And then I, I see this special come in, and this cop car just comes blasting in through the screen. And just this cop just takes out a rocket launcher and just blasts it into the middle of the screen. <laughs> and man, you know, I love for Streets of Rage was born that day. And that was my first beat em up memory. And I, I gotta say, that was a pretty good first memory because if you're gonna start out with Streets of Rage, I, I think you did right. I think that was a pretty good memory. But, you know, funnily enough, I, I did not play Streets of Rage again until many, many years later. And I, I, it stuck with me so much that I always wanted to recapture that game. I always wanted to see what that game was. And then later on, it just became an obsession with, with that franchise. But beyond that, I also remember that in Cuba, of all places where we didn't have arcades, the first arcade cabinet that I actually even saw and played was actually Captain Commando um, for the arcades developed by Capcom. And I don't know if any mm -hmm. of you guys played this because it was not a very well-known game. But Captain Commando was the mascot that Capcom had back in the 80s and the early 90s. And so they built this beat-em-up around it. And it's a beautiful-looking game. But for some reason, I don't know why, there was just one arcade cabinet in Cuba and it was Captain Commando. And, you know, I would, I'd love to go there every once in a while and play with my little brother and... 
it's it's kind of a bonkers game. You actually there's a player that's there's a character that's actually a baby genius that built a mech for himself and now fights with a mech. Um, and yep. Yep. <laughs> and there's a mummy called Mac the Knife um, that uses knives. Um, it's just a bonkers game. And I actually recently beat it again through the Capcom Classics Collection on the PS2. So if you want to play that definitely check that out on i think it's volume two of the capcom classics collection and it's just a fun fun game so those were my two memories of growing up with beat-em-ups so i think i think those were pretty good memories and it's just kind of built into a, a lifelong you know obsession or, or fandom for the beat-em-up genre yeah absolutely um i did want to ask as all three of you really um because it seems like all three of you have done this um, especially directed at Paul, because I feel like it might have been a more direct thing for him. Um, but playing something like Double Dragon in the arcades and then picking it up for console at the time, was that something that when you played it on console, you immediately like noticed a significant difference? Like, was it was it a thing where you preferred to play it in the arcade? Yeah, 100%. Any, any 8-bit rendition of an arcade game was disappointing almost every single time as a kid. Uh, the only exception might have been Double Dragon 2 for the NES, because Double Dragon 2, it didn't even try to be like Double Dragon 2 in the arcade. It was almost kind of its own thing, and therefore wasn't really that disappointing, because it just felt much different. It felt like its own thing. Um, it wasn't until Streets of Rage that the arcade experience really came home. And I remember, man, when I when I played Streets of Rage that first time, getting it for Christmas, it blew me away. I was like, okay, we're done. I don't need to go to the arcade anymore. It's right here. We're good. So I, I think, uh, Arnie, as, as with most of you, I actually, a lot of my experience were with the NES. So I first played Double Dragon in the NES. So for me... Bimmy and Jimmy, you know, just to not call him Billy. Um, and, and by the way, if, if 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 you don't if you don't know what we're talking about, there was a typo in the original NES game, and instead of Billy, they spelled it as Bimmy. So it's one of those uh, controversial typos, you know, from localization. Um, so Paul, it's it's not even Billy and Jimmy; it's Bimmy and Jimmy. So Machine Gun Larry, if he hears Bimmy and Jimmy, he's just gonna be like, "Well, I'm just gonna go back to watching the Golden Girls." Um, <laughs> so, um, so for me, for me, Arnie, I, I really it was the NES and the first Double Dragon. I played it in Cuba on the NES. Actually, I even remember it was on the top loader on the on the NES top loader. And, you know, one of the trivia of Double Dragon is that on the NES, it was actually just one player. Um, so for a game that was built around the multiplayer, it was really ironic that the one that it's most known for, because I think actually the NES game is even more popular in terms of the gamer mentality than the arcade game. I personally have never played the arcade cabin of Double Dragon. So, Paul, you have the leg up on me on that. Um, but it's it's actually, uh, you know, ironic that it didn't have two players. And by the way, at the end of Double Dragon, if Paul, you, I don't think you mentioned this, you actually fight your brother. So Billy and Jimmy are brothers, and at the end, you oh, actually man. fight him. So that's kind of a big oh, plot a twist. twist. Big, big plot twist. Um, Interesting. <laughs> I, didn't Dude, I, the winner, I think the winner, unless someone <laughs> actually gets the girl... So you fight your buddy, and whoever wins gets the girl. She evidently has no choice. It's just, you know, whatever guy has better fists, that's who she's dating. Uh, what a time to be alive. 
But yeah, imagine if if there was a game, like a modern game with that kind of ending, like imagine the uproar over that. <laughs> yeah, and, and well deserved, let's be honest. <laughs> this game did not care for your PC, you know. I mean, th- these games were just products of the 80s. They were violent. I mean, I don't remember any blood in the games, but they were pretty violent. 100%, man. Right at the beginning of Double Dragon, like right at the beginning of that game, Marion gets punched in the stomach. And then, yeah. and like knocked unconscious from this gut shot. And then she gets carried off. And it's like, holy shit. It's what most people remember from that game. It's it's really the gut punch held, heard around the world, you know? <laughs> and and th- that's how it starts. That's how it starts, you know, with uh, domestic violence. Um, so. <laughs> Not domestic, they don't know each other. It's just regular. Well, violence. actually, actually, in the NES game, in order to justify the fact that you beat your brother and you fight your brother, it turns out that Jimmy was actually the one that orchestrated the kidnapping of Marianne, who was Billy's girlfriend. So he was jealous. Not Jimmy. And, and it was Jimmy. <laughs> so, so yeah, maybe it was domestic after all. So, so guys, let's let's move on, and and I want to talk about the game that you love the most of the beat 'em up genre, and what you think it exemplifies of that genre. So maybe let's start with Masa. Masa, what what do you think is your favorite game of the beat 'em up genre? Okay, so I have two, and I can't really like leave either out of the, these out. Um, the first one, which we already talked about, is it, it's of course Turtles in Time. But like honestly, I'm not even sure what like what makes it so amazing. It might actually be like the license that it's the turtles, um, because we were always like so used to like having these like really horrible like licensed games, and I mean it's it's still like that even today. Like most of these like I don't know like are there even any other like decent um, turtles games? Like even even the the game developed by Platinum was a very, very bad game and one of their worst games. But yeah, I would have to go, yeah, Turtles in Time. And my second pick is Battletoads and Double Dragon. That is, um, that was one game that I was absolutely, absolutely like obsessed with as a, um, I guess I wasn't a kid anymore at that time, but in my early teens. And it's a game that I played over and over again with my friend. And it's kind of like what Arnie mentioned in our intro, um, that beat-em-ups have always been about like the whole multiplayer experience mm-hmm. rather than, you know, you playing it alone. And that's like one of the reasons why like these past few, like let's say a couple of years, I haven't even like played all these like classic beat-em-ups as much as I used to because um, my girlfriend isn't into that kind of games. And of course, as I'm getting older, I meet my friends like less often. And that's like one, like nowadays I mainly play single player games and beat-em-ups aren't something that I would like like to play alone. But yeah, Battletoads and Double Dragon, um, I would say my favorite thing about that game was that I really loved Battletoads on the NES, even if I never made it past the Turbo Tunnel, which is the third stage. Uh, and I also love Double Dragon, but like, like they, like their combined forces, just made the game like I don't know. I really feel like this might be like my ultimate beat 'em up. 
And also, one of the best things about this game is that it doesn't, it's, it's not impossible, because at least to me, I felt like Battletoads was impossible, and like all three Double Dragon games are also like quite challenging. Especially, like, of course, the first game was a single-player play, game, and then I believe the third game... Yeah, did you have, like, limited amount of content? Yeah, you did, you did. I yeah. think you did, yeah. Yeah, so those were, like, almost, like, impossible. But Battletoads and Double Dragon, while it's a very challenging game, but, yeah, I mean, I guess it was, like, one of those games that I just played played over and over again until I got, like, really good at it. But, I, I mean, that's, like, one game that I've beaten, like, dozens of times and... i don't believe you i i don't believe this for a second because <laughs> i played that game i played that game last year with a buddy and at, at the end of like two hours where we were just slamming our heads against the wall we were like fuck this game i'm never playing it again i can't believe you beat that game that's that's unbelievable to me <laughs> but yeah i mean that, that's the same like when i have like when you see all these people like talking about battle dogs on the nes and they're like yeah it's not even that difficult and there's like for fuck's sake, I can't even make it past the level. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Well, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, I just going back to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for a second, it's it's kind of there were two big companies in the 90s that were just putting out grade after grade beat em up games, and that was Konami and Capcom. And I don't know if you guys favored Konami or favored Capcom, but Konami had the Turtles license and they also had the Batman license. Um, and so they put out some great licensed games, Konami did. They, they were just putting out great games. Um, but Capcom was no slouch, man. I mean, and when I think of Capcom and their beat-em-ups, they were just beautiful. You know, they were just beautiful, beautiful um, games. Um, but Konami just hit it out of the park with Turtles in Time, man. Um, and funnily enough, Maza, I, I haven't played Battletoads vs. Double Dragon. So I, I've, you know, there's a beat-em-up that I, that I still need to get to, so... Um, looking forward to it, considering you consider it to be your perfect beat 'em up. Yeah, and and one like one more thing about that game is that um often like like for example Final Fight and all the Final Fight games they are excellent, but also they are um like I would say when it comes to the variety they are um on a bit of a simpler side because there's not it's just like you just walk forward and. You know, punch motherfuckers in the face, and that's all to it. But like Battletoads and Double Dragon, like yeah, I mean, you have a like a new version of Turbo Tunnel, which is not impossible this time, and then you even have like shoot 'em up stages, and there's a lot of like even like some platforming. So that's I think that's what really appeals to me uh, when it comes to that game. So because there's, there's like so much variety, it's not just you know going forward and you know punching people because. Even if the game is really good, it might get tiring after a while. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. It does have some variety. Also notable for being another game where women get punched in the stomach. And it's <laughs> and Masa, you, I, like, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw this last year. I think if you play as one of the Toads, um, when you attack the women, he literally grabs her by the fucking hair and then punches yeah, yeah. her in the stomach. Yeah. And I, I, I saw this last year, and I was like, "Oh, good God, this could never be released today." Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, back in the '90s, it was like business as usual. Yeah, <laughs> I I guess guess so. all the time. Is is Battletoads Double Dragon like one of the first major like video game crossovers, like of franchises like that? I'm I'm, I'm struggling to think of another one that's as big. It actually might be, yeah. It might be, which is awesome. I mean, you got your Battletoads in my Double Dragons. I mean that. 
to a to a ten year old. That must have been so amazing. Artie, what what's your favorite beat 'em up? What what do you think is a beat 'em up to, that to you exemplifies the genre and and you always think about when you're thinking about beat 'em ups? Um. So it so the question is is twofold for me. I I just want to say that I do agree with you that Konami and Capcom are probably kings of of at least my childhood in terms of beat 'em up. I think Konami is sort of the king of the licensed beat 'em up, whereas Capcom is the king of the original IP beat 'em up. But in terms of, of the beat-em-up that sort of exemplifies what a beat-em-up is to me, um, it's probably the X-Men arcade machine, actually. Another oh, one. yes. Dude, that six one, players, I, man. I know. And that, I think, really, like, when I think, when you when you tell me, like, think of a beat-em-up machine, I think of the gigantic, like, obscenely large X-Men arcade machine with the two screens and the setup for, like, six people And that's the one that I'm like, every time I see it, I'm like, I'm going to pump at least a couple quarters in here and, you know, just go to town until I die. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And that was Konami. I mean, Konami was just hitting it out of the park at the time. But six, Another big license six for players, I mean, it's just massive, just a huge, massive arcade cabinet. Did you guys play this at the arcade? Uh, I never oh, played I did. it at at my actual arcade. I think I play I think there was a smaller version of it that I have played before, but whenever I go to um Magfest, they usually have it and I usually get to play at least a couple rounds of it. I played the uh I played the six player one when I was a kid. Not often, right? Because you know, there's limited money and so on. And plus the six player only available at like the big arcade, which you went to a couple times a year. But also notable for having like full voice in it yep. um like i distinctly remember at the end of the first level man maybe i don't distinctly remember but i remember professor x talking and i was like holy shit this guy's talking and it was amazing you don't remember welcome to die oh my god no i don't that sounds fantastic yeah uh unless i'm thinking of a different x-men arcade machine but there's a point where you get essentially you get to this waterfall and magneto shows up and he's floating um, in front of you, and he just says, like, I can't remember the full line, but it ends with welcome to die, and then he, like, blows the, the ledge that you're on, and you fall off. Oh, my God, that's going to be, like, my, my my gamer thing whenever I create a profile now. It's just going to be, call, here's my name, welcome to die. Well, it, with with six players, it just seems like the perfect birthday party game. You know, you were probably at Chuck E. Cheese, and you had all your friends there. It's like, man, we're going to get to play X-Men. Um, so it just seems like a yeah. perfect birthday awesome. party game. I mean, the thing is obscenely large. Like, it's the it's epitome of, like, 90s just, um, like, fucking just greed and, like, this is the biggest arcade <laughs> you can fit in this fucking thing. It'll probably cost you, like, I mean, to get six people on it, that's, like, a guaranteed, what, $3 right there? So this thing is like it probably cost more than fifty cents to play at the time. I mean, this thing is yeah, it was it was definitely a minimum fifty, if not seventy yeah. five. Yeah, so this thing is an obscene like money machine. <laughs> Paul, what's 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 uh what's your favorite? beat him up what's what's the beat him up that you think about i know we've talked about double dragon but is is there another one that you think you know you hold near and dear to your heart nowadays that you can't quit the perfect beat him up is streets of rage 2 
I, I don't even think. Oh yeah. I don't even think Drop there's the any mic. discussion to be had on this. It's like super refined, man. I, dude, I remember seeing it for the first time. I had actually, I had actually traded in my Sega Genesis for a Super Nintendo because of Street Fighter Two, and a buddy of mine still had his Genesis. He got Streets of Rage Two, brought it to my house where I was having a birthday party. And we all played Streets of Rage 2 for hours. And at the end of the afternoon, I was like, please, please, please let me borrow your Genesis. I'll give you anything. Here's my Super Nintendo. Take it. I don't give a shit. And, and he's like, and he's like, no fucking way. Right? Like, <laughs> Streets of Rage 2, I, I'm, uh, this is the game that we all want to play. And it's aged so well. The music is untouchable. Absolute classic. I beat it twice just last Year. I'm probably going to beat it again this year. Like it just, it's the perfect length. It's, you know, you have the right amount of moves in your move set. I mean, obviously nowadays you want more variety and, and more moves and so on and so forth, but the game is just, it's so refined. It's a classic. I love well, it's, it. It's, it's, a, it's perfect because that's also what I consider to be my ideal beat em up. And you probably know this probably because I just can't shut up about Streets of Rage 2. Um, and even Streets of Rage 1. But I, I, I try to think about what makes it so perfect. And it really is an amalgamation of Double Dragon and Final Fight. And Streets of Rage was actually, in terms of chronology, it was later than Double Dragon and Final Fight. So for a lot of people, it was seen as kind of the interloper. It was kind of the ripoff of Final Fight. Um, and Sega, this was kind of their first real stab at, at a brawler, even though they had Golden Axe before. You know, there's room for debate as to whether Golden Axe falls into the beat-em-up genre or not. But Sega just really, really knocked it out of the park. And when I think about what makes it so perfect, it's the the, the great neon pastel colors of the streets. I, I mean, you, 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 you can perfectly envision Streets of Rage in your mind. You can always call back. There's an image of Streets of Rage in your mind that never goes away because it just has such a distinct art style it's it's very much it's very different from the final fight art style from double dragon art style it's, it's very different it's very smooth it plays extremely smooth there's very good collision detection but above all and and paul you mentioned it i mean that yuzo koshiro soundtrack is just greatest i would say probably top five soundtracks of all time both streets of rage one and streets of rage two some of the best soundtracks of all time. And I don't know what type of magic and sorcery Koshiro did in order to get such amazing sounds of the Yamaha uh, F86 sound chip that was in the Genesis and much maligned by developers everywhere. But man, I mean, one of the things that is very frequently mentioned in, in, in referring to the Streets of Rage soundtrack is that you could play it at a club and not skip a bit. And that's exactly it. It was very much dance influence it was very much influenced by the house music of the 90s very much of the detroit house scene and it just it really was a game and a soundtrack that you could listen to it without even playing the game and and that was very unique for its time and to this day that soundtrack is still amazing and i it's it's on my constant rotation at work i i listen to that soundtrack all the time and and really it's what makes it really go over the edge in terms of what makes it so yeah. great yeah so yeah what i would like to say about the soundtrack is that um back in the days like you would like when you had like video game music it actually like you could like right away tell that it's from a video game and it did really work as like 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 you mentioned that yeah you could like 
play the Streets of Rage soundtracks in nightclubs. You can't do that with a whole lot of like games from that same era. So that's definitely like something that sets um, Streets of Rage apart from like all these like other, uh, for example, beat 'em ups and I mean video games in general that came out around that time. And mm-hmm. I'm, I must admit this. Um, okay, so I actually played the game for the first time only a few years ago when I got the um, Mega Drive or Genesis Collection um, for the PS3. Yeah. And yeah, I have to admit this, even as a Nintendo fanboy who played almost nothing but like Super Nintendo games back in the day and all these like Super Nintendo beat-em-ups, but if I had played Streets of Rage 2 back in the day, it probably would be my number one. But I mean, of course, since I have like more... I mean, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at these games like through nostalgia goggles like, you know, Battle mm-hmm. and Double Dragon and Turtles in Time. I mean, they are amazing games, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I might have to agree with you guys that the yeah, Streets of Rage 2 might be the beat em up. And correct me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Streets of Rage also continued the the much beloved uh, beat em up tradition of allowing you to also beat up on women. Oh, Is that totally. Right? I think there totally. Was, yeah. <laughs> it was never it was never so egregious though as with those <laughs> other games. Like those those other two instances were just like. I don't know, man. There was something. There was something about them that looked completely well, incorrect. But Paul, now yeah. now it just it struck me that in Final Fight, you used to beat up on Poison, and in order to not make it sound like you were beating up a woman, they actually made her transgender. It's a trap. They actually made her transgender to make it acceptable to hit a woman. So, yeah. so this was a problem endemic to the beat 'em up genre. You know, beating up women was a big issue back in the day. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, and now that I think about it, now that I think about it, yeah, Streets of Rage two and, and the original, it had those girls whips. Yeah. Um, in Streets of Rage one, they had like oh, these yeah. hats that made them look like dominatrixes, and then in the uh, in, in Streets of Rage two, they had like the boots and uh, mm-hmm. yeah that. No, that's not so great nowadays either. So, so guys, uh... We, we know well that the beat-em-up has kind of gone the way of the Dodo, and there really haven't been too many beat-em-ups in recent years. There are a few here and there, like Double Dragon Neon, Double Dragon 4, Power Rangers, if you're Paul. Um, but you know, but there really hasn't been a, a resurgence of the beat-em-up genre. So what I want to ask you guys, just to close the segment, is can the beat-em-up genre ever make a comeback? And if you think it does, what would be your ideal beat-em-up? I want to do this one first because I was hoping you'd ask this question. Um, I do think <laughs> that the beat 'em up genre does have legs. I, at least for me, for me to sort of be get back into it, it has to be sort of the Dungeons and Dragons, Dragons Crown sort of uh, system where it's a beat 'em up, but it also has RPG elements because I'm an RPG whore, and I think that that stuff adds a lot more depth to the simplicity of a beat-em-up. I think that a lot of people are, are crave something like that. I think that, you know, because we don't have sort of the social setting of the arcades, 
where you play with a lot of people. A lot of people are just playing at home and a lot of times yeah, by themselves. Yeah. You need something to sort of put under the underlying beat up mechanic to make it a little more enticing for people to keep playing and be a little more invested. Yeah, I, I agree. That would be awesome. And I think Dragon's Crown is carrying that torch, at least for the time being. Vanillaware did a great job with Dragon's Crown. So um, hopefully they keep putting out great games in that genre. Yeah, alternatively, you could go the God Hand route and just make it fucking insane. You could, you could yeah. also do that. Yep. Um, so I, I want to answer this because clearly I've thought a lot about this. Um, and I, I just want to put out, <laughs> if there's any developer, if there are any developers listening to this, please, please make this game. Um, so my ideal comeback for, for me for a beat-em-up would be highly stylized art style with potentially animated graphics. I mean, this could be either cel-shaded or a la Dragon Ball Fighters, which just released. With a gritty urban theme, maybe New York, you know, but in the 80s or 70s. Um, so basically, so far so good. A myriad of playstyles, different martial arts mechanics, co-op, of course, but especially couch co-op because I think that's critical nowadays, even though it's left out a lot of times. I would also want to have like Mass Effect type style interactions between characters which allow you to develop affinities with them so that you could like tag team you know with characters that you have a better affinity with so that if you're buddies with i don't know axel um you know you can like unlock a special superpower move and stuff like that um some light rpg mechanics as as arnie has mentioned maybe not as much as dungeons and dragons but like in the in the line of River City Ransom or maybe even Double Dragon Neon, which did it some years back, no branching paths because I like my linearity in in my beat 'em ups. I don't know, that's just me. Um, and a killer, killer, killer electro soundtrack by Yusuke Koshiro. So basically, I just want a new Streets of Rage. So please, Sega, if you if you're listening to this, please release a new Streets of Rage. I I, I beg you, I will do whatever. I will throw money at you if you if you release a new Streets of Rage. Please do it. Um, so yeah, that's that's my ideal comeback. So what about the rest of you guys, Masa? Um, to answer your question, like at first, like I don't think, um, like the beat 'em up genre has evolved into like all these like subgenres like hack and slash and you know like 3D brawlers brawl, <laughs> brawl and stuff. So yeah, I don't think that the like like when we think about the classic beat 'em ups, like I don't think those will really come back. Or at least I mean we are getting we are still getting games like Double Dragon Four. Um, but I don't think the genre itself, it's never going to be the same as it was in the 90s or in the 80s. So nowadays, I think like the, the most popular beat-em-ups are games like, for example, the Yakuza franchise. I mean, that's fairly big and uh, it's getting like, I feel like it's getting more popular in the West. And um, I think that's probably like the, the way to go for um, the beat-em-ups because those games still have like more mainstream appeal. Um, games like Double Dragon 4 uh, and Power Power Rangers, they only appeal to us like who are you know who grew up playing beat 'em ups. But what my ideal beat 'em up would be, um, uh, I don't know. It it actually might be Yakuza because I mean I just I've, I've been playing Yakuza Zero lately, and it really does feel like a natural evolution. Um, it's more complex and more story heavy. As like I kind of feel like. Um, if you wanna take a have a modern take on the classic beat 'em ups, it kinda like if you think about how the genre has evolved, you 
kind of have to have like some variety and different like fighting styles in the game and you have like it has to be a bit more story heavy and you you have to have like those those RPG elements like Dragon's Crown is a great game but it's still like I love that game but it's still it feels like a modern version of the you know like the 90s Capcom so Paul just just to close out with you what what would be your ideal beat em up well, I, I mostly agree with you, Ozzy, on your take on it, uh, except the branching paths. I actually kind of like the branching paths. Like yeah, your, your, yeah, your your blueprint right there is Guardian Heroes. Guardian Heroes had multiple branching paths that you could pick and added some replay value. And uh, another thing that Guardian Heroes had that I think is a pretty good idea is having, I mean, it had dozens, dozens of unlockable characters and to be fair, many of them were like, you know, one button attack kind of characters, like yeah. the no name brand uh, enemies. But there were quite a few uh, unlockable characters who played very, very differently from the main five and made that game even more interesting, at least in versus mode. You couldn't use them in story mode, which, you know, made sense because they were your enemies. But it would be nice if they had some kind of story mode where you still could play as those unlockable characters. So. Having a lot of unlockable characters to play very differently, you know, that's a big plus. I think having the ability to beat the game in one sitting, or, or at the very least complete like an entire chapter in one sitting, is is also pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but not entirely 100% necessary. Like the bottom line is, if you're going to make it long, at, at least you know add some variety, right? Like mm. like God Hand. God Hand does a really good job there because it has that kind of escalating difficulty level where you start on kind of the lowest difficulty level and you the better you do the harder the game gets as you go on and it's it keeps it really interesting it keeps like this very good tension where you get bonuses for for doing really well but doing really well also means you eventually just get the shit kicked out of you i guess what i'm saying is that treasure and clover should team up and they should make a game called guardian hand and then, and then I'm sold. So I have a quick yes or no question for everybody. How do you feel about like a like a beat 'em up allowing you to create your own character at the beginning yes. of the game? That's fine. Yeah. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, we got a um, question from my friend, and the question is, what are your pet peeves as collectors? And and he's all, also like uh, giving some examples, like some hate the price tag, some love it, some don't mind damage labels because it um, shows the history of the card, etc. Um, so yeah, I think that's a very interesting question, and yeah, also do you want to um, answer <laughs> ask the um, question first? Yeah, I mean, I, I think mine is pretty simple. I don't have a lot of pet peeves, um, so I don't really have a lot of things that really bother me as a collector. Um, mostly because I, I go back and forth on whether I consider myself a collector. I just, I just get things that I like to play, <laughs> really. Um, but what I've seen, at least in the Instagram community, in the retro community, that 
it doesn't bother me, but it's just kind of, eh, you know, I'm, I'm not too crazy about it. It's just people that just collect expensive games just for the sake of, you know, showing off an expensive game, even though that game may be shit. Um, it, it just, you know, to me, I see some people that the the act of collecting is more about having, you know, that valuable game rather than actually experiencing the game. And you know what? To each their own. I don't judge anybody, you know, if, if that's what you like go for it it's just not me you know that's not what i like i I like to play my games and i'm not going to spend two thousand dollars on stadium events just to say i have stadium events so that's kind of my little irk not to call it a pet peeve so maybe paul you can tell us what you think is what annoys you again like with you ozzy there's not really a heck of a lot that annoys me in, in collecting games like i hear i'll hear people complain about the prices and so on and so forth but Look, that's the reality, you know, supply and demand. If the mm -hmm. supply is low and the demand is high, then the price is going to go up, and that's just kind of how it is. If I had a pet peeve, it would probably be getting something online and then it arriving not in the condition that I expected. Yes. I've, I've had a few experiences with that, and, you know, hey, it's uh, like, like any good corporation, I'll call it a good learning opportunity. And since then, I have learned to be a lot more careful with what I purchase online and just making sure getting pictures. If somebody doesn't provide pictures or it's reticent or whatever, forget it, move on. You know, there will that great deal. There will be another one. Don't worry about it. So, so Arnie, what, what is your pet peeve? 100% uh, agree with Paul. My pet peeve in game collecting is the U.S. Postal Service um, <laughs> to make it their mission to try to any freaking yeah. package that is sent my way. Um, but if I had to pick in terms of actually collecting games and buying games, and I don't know why. I don't mind uh, price tag stickers, rental stickers on games. Like, you know, if you if you saw my game collection, it'd probably give some people uh, nightmares because I essentially keep all my game price tags and stickers and nonsense on there. The, the one thing that does bother me, and I don't know why it bothers me, but when I get a game, um, and most of the games I buy are, are PS2 forward, um, but when manuals are like either ripped or stained or you know just not taken care of, it really bothers me because I'm like, you have this protector around the manual. How did you destroy the one thing that you know, is, is sort of not exposed to anything because the game goes in the console. So I can understand how the game would get fried and the cover art is sort of just out in the open, exposed to the elements, but the manual is, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't get how people mistreat sort of manuals like that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you something about manuals. So I've been playing, I've been playing Nino Kuni on the PS3 lately, mm -hmm. and uh, I've got the manual kind of sitting on a little coffee table next to the couch in the game room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a responsible adult. I don't keep coffee next to it. Yeah. I don't do stupid things. But every once in a while, my dog will walk by the <laughs> coffee table, and, and that, you know, maybe that's how something like that might happen. That's true. I have had an experience where I found a game that somebody had essentially is a GameCube game is a Naruto game and somebody opened it, took out the cover art and drew mustaches in permanent <laughs> on all the characters. I was like, 
that is some dedication to <laughs> your craft right there. So, because it's not like that's awesome. <laughs> it's not like you just drew it on the front of the case, like on the plastic. You had to open it and take the cover art out, draw all this stuff on it, and slide it back. I don't in. think you can even hate on that, man. I mean, I I think you just have to accept that as just <laughs> you know art. <laughs> so. <laughs> I was like, I was so tempted to buy it, but I was like, it's not even, like, it's not a, like, if it was slightly, like, if it was even a game I was slightly interested in, I would have absolutely bought it. So, Masa, what's what's uh, your pet peeve? Okay, so I don't really mind the price tags, except if it's, like, GameStop. I mean, of course, I, you know, remove their stickers, um, but one of the, uh, this is actually, like, GameStop related as well, but my biggest pet peeve is, like, uh, for example, just yesterday I went to GameStop. I was checking out the used game section, and there's like so many modern games without the original boxes, and that's yeah. always driving me insane. I was like, "Hey, there's this guy at three and this guy at four, but they are in this like box where it's like, yeah, someone like just like wrote like this guy at four on it, and there's like no cover art or anything." <laughs> and I'm like. What like what happens to these boxes? And it's even worse with like um, all the handheld consoles. Yeah. But like I understand that back in the day, for example, almost I would say 90% of my you know NES, N64, Super Nintendo collection and Game Boy, it's you know loose games because I mean we had those cardboard boxes and I mean they would get wrecked or people would just throw them away. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand if you have a you know a 3DS game or a PS4 game. Why the fuck would you throw away the box? Like, come on. Like, that's like fucking driving me insane whenever I see games like that. Well, especially for Vita and like 3DS games, because they barely take up any space whatsoever. Yeah, and I mean, they're so small. Like, if you, if you don't keep them in, in the case, like, I mean, you're just going to lose the games. And especially GameStop actually throws away, they have a policy of throwing away the cases. So it's, I just kind of, I find it infuriating. So yeah, Masa, I'm going to go with you on that. It really pisses me off. So it has been an awesome time, guys, and we hope you will tune in next time. Again, my name is Ozzy, and you can find me on Instagram under the handle Shadow the Collector, where you can read my rambling posts that have absolutely no respect whatsoever for the Instagram word limit. And how about you guys? Where can we find you? Uh, I'm at 8BitYarns, the number 8, one word. I'm on Instagram. Come check me out. I am also on Instagram. Welcome to the game. Word welcome, number two, the game. Again, you can come find me on Instagram. I, unlike the rest of these people, need followers and, you know, sort of more people to listen to me to feel good about myself. Um, so any any contribution towards that is very highly appreciated. Let's make that our New Year's resolution, guys. <laughs> Masa, where can we find you? As you guys, like I'm also on Instagram and my um, name is Masa Jarvin and 9 so it's M A S A J A R V I N E N O nine, and uh, unlike Arnie, I don't really need more followers. As <laughs> you? Yeah, I'm Instagram famous, baby. <laughs> so thank you guys. This has been the Region Free Gamers podcast. It's been an awesome time. You can find us everywhere that good podcasts can be found. We're now on iTunes, so. Make sure if you have some time and if you like what you heard, just leave us a review. It helps us quite a lot. Um, we really want to know how we're doing. You can also follow us on Instagram at Region Free Gamers. That's exactly how that's spelled, where you can leave us feedback and you can tell us how we're doing and what you think of us and the podcast. So until next time, just make sure to keep your knuckles bare and your fights final. <laughs>